Welcome to The Portable Pastor, a podcast of relevant biblical teaching, linking ancient truth with today's challenges. Each week, Pastor Mike will share God's Word to help you and remind you that God is pro-you. So download the outline from fbcclover.life and get ready to hear today's teaching. Here's Pastor Mike. Well, hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in again to the podcast. This is the portable Pastor Mike Stafford coming to you from a Clover Blue Eagle office. It is a beautiful day outside. Let's get right to the word today. We're back in Matthew chapter 5 looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And today I want to share with you a sermon entitled Concerning Anger. Last week, we heard Jesus correct some of the teaching of the Pharisees. Do you remember? they? Those religious teachers, they, they taught that the Israelites... Uh, should avoid adultery, but they never address the, the cause of the problem, the internal motive. So Jesus took the teaching past merely observing the adultery, uh, you know, the, that commandment about adultery, and he addressed the sinful intentions that come from inside a person. I hope, I hope you remember that, that teaching because today's teaching is similar. After restating a simple command, Jesus is going to make a a sweeping clarification to convict us all. Last week, it was lust of the flesh. This week, it is unrighteous anger. So we're back in Matthew 5. Go ahead and turn there unless you're driving. You can just follow or just listen. We're going to see Jesus correcting this this teaching again. Now, I, I say again, this topic was 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 actually covered by Jesus before last week's topic. I, I mistakenly skipped it, <laughs> we, uh, but we got to look at it. We, we got to do it today. So he made this first sweeping clarification, not with with his teaching on adultery, but with his teaching on, on anger. And remember, the Pharisees were focused on behavior of, of people, and Jesus was focused on the, the heart of people. And that's why he says in, in verse verse 20, there in Matthew 5, before we even get to these these uh, two topics, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. See, he knew that righteousness doesn't come from your behavior. It comes from him. He, he gives us his righteousness. That's why Paul wrote in Philippians 3, 8 and 9. That's why he taught us, uh, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. And I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So we now know that that we won't be saved for eternity by keeping the rules or creating our own righteousness. That That's impossible. I I know I read it all the time, but Matthew 7, 21 through 23 is such a grave warning to us. And I just want to keep telling the people of God who are actually the people who think they're of God. I want to keep warning them with this. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. This is Jesus talking to me. But the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did I not prophesy in your name or cast out demons in your name? and do mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You see, Jesus was saying, it's your heart that matters in salvation. Your your trust, your faith, that relationship that you're building with him is what's going to get you in, not your works. 
You, know, you should do all those good works out of thankfulness and, and, and to please and glorify him, but not for salvation. That, that's not the way it works. Well, uh, enough of that. Let, let's, let's get to this today. I, I have to, to get to this teaching. So we're going to pick up at verse 21 through 26. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. Jesus recalls in this in this uh, passage number six of the Ten Commandments, Deuteronomy five seventeen. You shall not murder. I told you last week that the do not covet commandment was number six. I was wrong. It's actually number seven. Sorry, don't stone me for being a false teacher. It was an accident. I, I repent of that today. I made a mistake. So Jesus reiterated law number six: don't go off and murder somebody. You see, the Pharisees had taught that that keeping this law, as well as the others, but keeping this would, would save you from hell. Wrong. That That's impossible. We are born sinners. I mean, think about it. What child is able to overcome temptation from birth? None. I can honestly say that I am the living proof of David's words in Psalm 58.3. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth. No one taught me to be selfish. No one taught me to, to, to be prideful. I had it in me, and you did too. You did too. What's the proof? Well, think about it. Did you scream your lungs out because you were hungry when you were an infant? In, in that anger, and if you were capable at that point, without the constraint of knowing that murder was wrong, you probably would have killed someone over some absent milk. You would have. But we couldn't because we were weak. So what did we do? We held our breath. And we turned colors. And then in baby talk, we yelled just like Hulk, you know, you're making me mad. You don't want to make me mad. <laughs> that, that's why Jesus emphasizes and compares the, the, the external act of murder to the internal motive of anger. It's the same sweeping clarification. It's not only the murderer that is a sinner. It's all of us who have unrighteous anger in our hearts. So Jesus correctly teaches four things about the sin of anger, and I want to share them with you. You gotta gotta get this. So if you're not driving, write this down. These are really good. Or you can just look at the description of this podcast below and, and you'll find the outline there. All right. So Jesus teaches four things about the sin of anger. The first one concerns the the internal impulse. You know, anger comes from the same internal source as murder. What did verses 21 and 22 say? You've heard it said, To those of old you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Murder is sin. I mean, no, no doubt. It's a sin that will be judged by God. We know this. It's in his law. But what we might miss is that the motive for murder is the same motive for unrighteous anger. We want our way. 
We want the last say in what happens. When we're disrespected, when, when our rule is questioned and unfollowed, our pride becomes fodder. Not fodder as in a Catholic priest in Brooklyn. Fodder. No, not fodder, but fodder is what makes a, a fire burn. An unrestrained pride is, is a fodder that can, can light the fire, can stoke the fire of unrighteous anger. In fact, it could possibly burn so hot that it will push you to murder someone. Now look, in, in Clover, I learned that, that some men get upset when you make, make fun of their truck. They're just going to get upset. They're going to pout. They're going to not talk to you. And they'll get flat out, I mean, flat out mad if, if you scratch it. I mean, that's, that's bad. But if you steal it, Go ahead and call forwards. Someone's fixing to die. It's, it's bad. Jesus is saying that the sin is not just like taking uh, of a life, but it begins with unrighteous anger. Now, now there's such a thing as righteous anger. We, we know this is true. There has to be. I mean, cause Paul said in Ephesians 4.26, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Remember? So what is righteous anger? What is godly anger? What, what makes God mad? In an article I read posted on openthebible.org, it's entitled, What Makes Me Angry and What Makes God Angry? The author, Kevin Weatherell, he writes that, that there are three things that make God angry. God gets angry when there is a failure to revere His holiness, or when there's idolatry that takes place, or when there's sin or injustice or crime that happens. And and we we can and should get angry about those things. The weird thing is, is that we, we don't get angry about those things. We get angry about menial things, just little things. We get upset when our child ignores us with their earbuds in, but where's the anger over the vile words in the songs that they're listening to? And we shake our heads at the teaching of evolution. It's ridiculous. But we get furious and we yell at the refs for treating our children at their sporting event badly, you know, making a bad call. There is righteous anger and then there's unrighteous anger. Righteous anger seeks to elevate the truth and the glory of God. Unrighteous anger is is a prideful internal impulse. It's just as sinful as external murder. That's what Jesus taught. Then he taught the resulting ruling. Sins committed in anger will earn you judgment. What did he say in verse 22? But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable for judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So we know there's judgment for sin. I mean, that's very clear. Romans 6.23 could not be clearer. The wages of sin is death. There is a judgment. There is a punishment. And the decision of assigning someone to death and, and separation is a judgment call made by God. So all sin has a judgment. And, and we need to be fearful. God will judge sin. He's going to judge sin. Psalm 75, 7, it says, But it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. God's going to judge sin. There will be a punishment. It's death. There will be separation. One will go up and one will come down. That's what it says. Now notice in that verse, that verse in Matthew 5, 22, that, that God will allow those to whom he's given authority to judge too. They're going to be able to judge. 
It's in that phrase, liable to the council. You see, in Jesus' day, if you insulted your neighbor, you insulted your, your parents, then you would be judged by the council of leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the elders. Paul reiterated that in 1 Peter 2, 13 and 14, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him. Why? To punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. God will judge people and God's authority will be allowed to judge people, at least here on earth. But notice that even even the lost will judge unrighteous anger here. That's crazy to think about. But that phrase, that phrase, you fool, in the original language was was raka. And it means empty-headed useless, so dumb that you're good for nothing. People say those kinds of things when they are filled with with unrighteous anger. And then he uses the phrase, the hell of fire. That's not talking about hell. That's not a reference to, to hell. The MacArthur Bible commentary says this about that phrase, the end of verse that's found in the end of verse 22. It's a reference to the Hinnon Valley. It's southwest of Jerusalem where Ahaz and Manasseh permitted people to um, to make human sacrifices. And it, this happened during, during their reign. It, it was called the Valley of Slaughter. They were judged and they were burned and they suffered the hell of fire. Now this can happen today. Well, maybe not the fire thing, but but people get mad. And when they do, they, they, grow, they grow impatient with someone at school, maybe at work, and they say to them loudly and in public, you're, you're a worthless idiot. And judgment will come down on someone who says that. At school especially, that's bullying. You could be expelled. But in a workplace, that's also unprofessional. You could be fired. Well, I guess there's fire after all, the hell of being fired. At any rate, the resulting ruling is not going to be pretty. Judgment will come to those who sin in their anger. So Jesus taught the internal impulse and he taught the resulting ruling. Then he moved to the peaceful priority. Living peaceably with others is more valuable to God than your offering to him. What does verse 23 say? So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Now you got to read this through the understanding that God is an orderly God. Creation is done in order. He ordered roles after the fall. The church was designed with order and expected to be operated in order. The family is to be orderly, an orderly group of people with mutual respect. So this part of this teaching, if seen through that lens, you will notice an order, a priority. What does he say? He says, bring your gift Make your offering. I mean, we're we're supposed to give to God showing our trust in Him and to be a part of His work. But if you're convicted while you're doing that of disunity, of an anger issue, a problem with the fellow Christians, store that gift and go and make it right. Now, don't skip the gift. Don't go and spend the gift. That would be sin. Just hold off on giving it until you make things right with your fellow Christian. I say fellow Christian because you're not always going to agree with non-Christians. There's not much unity between a Christian and a non-Christian. But there is unity between Christians. There's supposed to be. So make it right. Then return 
and give your offering. There's a priority there. There's an order. I know it sounds weird. It sounds like a relationship with others is just as important as a relationship with God. And maybe not in terms of salvation or giving God glory, but in terms of living in this world, yeah. Greg, look, Pastor Greg just preached the greats, the Great Commission and the Great Commandments. In the Great Commandments, it says we're to love God and love people. You can't do one without the other. While you're on this earth, you have to do both of those things if you are a Christian. You can't worship him and hate your brother. That's why John wrote in 1 John 4, 7 and 8, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So love and and unity, harmony, keeping the peace with your fellow brothers have to coexist. And, And there is a peaceful priority that helps us to fight against this unrighteous anger. So Jesus taught the internal impulse of an unrighteous anger, then the resulting ruling over that sin, then the peaceful priority that fights that sin, and now he he turns and warns about the earthly cost of that sin. He says there needs to be a speedy settlement. When you've wronged someone, settle it quickly. Come to terms quickly, is what verse 25 and 26 says. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court. Let your accuser hand you, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you'll be put in prison. Truly I say you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Sometimes we Christians, we hurt other people. We're not perfect and we don't live on a deserted island. We're going to rub shoulders with people and sometimes we're going to do that harshly. And when you've wronged someone, you're supposed to go to them, come clean, ask for forgiveness, make amends, and do it quickly. Why would Jesus tell us to do this quickly? Well, I think it's just pretty natural. The longer a problem remains, the bigger the problem gets, and the angrier that hurt person grows. That's because it seems like you don't care that you hurt them if you linger in going to them. The longer you wait to go to them to make it right, the more angry they'll get. And the more that'll be stoked by by time and by circumstances. They will become so sensitive to everything that you do. Mowing the yard a certain way will make them mad. The way you respond to a question will make them mad. The way you breathe will make them mad. That anger will grow and grow and grow. And not only that, the longer the problem remains, the more attached that person will be to it. When it comes to forgiveness and moving on, time is on the side of of reconciliation. That's where you need to spend your time. And time on, on this side of reconciliation will multiply on that side. Listen, the longer you take to fix this, the longer it's going to take for them to get over it. And if you do not settle this, eventually people won't pay back. They they will sin, they will want justice and retribution along with with a proverbial payback of of pain and suffering, right? The longer you wait to fix your relationship, the more it will cost you in the end. So seek a speedy settlement in all broken relationships or or unrighteous anger is going to rise. It's going to maybe arise in you or maybe it'll arise in them, but it's going to arise. So when it comes to anger, Jesus teaches us even including the being angry enough to murder, he's teaching us to check your internal impulses. 
Keep them in in check. Remind yourself of the resulting ruling that God's going to lay down. There's going to be punishment for unrighteous anger. We are to make peace with others and make that a priority in our Christian walk. We must seek unity. And if you do something wrong, help yourself and help them by settling it quickly. Well, I hope that helps you to deal with unrighteous anger. All of this, of course, like many of the teachings of Christ, points to a bigger topic, to spiritual life kind of stuff, your relationship with God. Truth is, you you have an internal sin problem. We all do. We all do. No one's immune to that. And the problem of sin will earn a judgment by God. And, and that judgment's going to be eternal. It is. He desires you, he, he desires, has a desire for you to live at peace with himself. He wants that. And so why don't, why, why don't you go quickly and make amends with God when you've wronged him? Christian, go. Confess your sins. Confess your sins to God. Admit that they were wrong. Repent of them and try to never do them again. Non-Christian, go to God and make this right. Understand that he gave you, he gave you a special gift to help you do this. It was the, the gift of his own son who died on a cross to pay for your sins. And if you place your faith and trust in him, that he will do exactly what he told us he would do. He would justify us with the father. If you believe that, if you act upon that, you can know salvation. You can know forgiveness of sin and you can make amends with God. What keeps you from doing that? Would you do that today? Would you do it today? If so, if you're listening to this and, and, and you were, you're wanting to make an amends with God today, just pray this prayer with me in your own words, but, but believe it, believe it in your heart. God, I know I'm a sinner and I believe that you sent your son to die for it. What love you have for me. I received that gift. And I trust that he did enough to save me. I'm placing my faith in him that he'll do what's right and save me for eternity. Father, come into my life. Make me better than myself. I can't do it. And I don't know a lot about you, but I want to learn. I want to grow closer to you. And I'll yield to your leading if you'll just save me. In Christ's name, I ask this. Amen. If you meant that in your heart, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it in your heart, then God saved you. God saved you. He he forgave your sin. He sealed you for eternity. The Holy Spirit has moved into your life and you're now going to grow in your relationship with him. Now, if that causes you to make behavioral changes, that's fine. If that causes you to go and join a church, that's fine. If that causes you to go and do good works, that's awesome. But you must grow in your relationship with God. Read his word. Pray. Study the Bible. Listen to to godly teaching that will help you grow and understanding him more and more and becoming more like him more and more. I encourage you to do that. If you prayed that prayer, just email me at mike at fbcclover.com. I want to just give thanks that God saved you and maybe give you some encouraging things to, to think about. 
But just send me an email. If you have a question about any of this, email me, mike at fbcclover.com. I will be glad to start an online conversation with you. We'll come back next week. We're going to go right to the next topic that that Jesus brings up in the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, I'm excited to present that to you as well. Well, have a great week. Be blessed. And Christian, remember, if you're chasing after God, if you're wanting to live for God, He is very much pro-you. Thanks for listening to the Portable Pastor Podcast. Pastor Mike serves as pastor at the First Baptist Church in Clover, South Carolina. FBC Clover is a church that focuses on loving God, loving people, and making disciples. For more information about our church and our ministries, or to make an online donation, go to fbcclover.com or email us at fbcclover at gmail.com. Until next time. Be blessed. And remember, God is pro-you.